Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. In this, the very first episode of the Diary of an Age Grouper, we talk to Jack Kelly. Jack has made a name for himself through his podcast, The Triathlon Hour, formerly known as the How They Train podcast, as well as bringing a mainstream media approach to our sport. We thought, what better way to kick things off than by asking Jack about how he trains and how he used to train. That said, we got through so much more than just training data and favorite sessions. Listen in to find out more about his relationship with triathlon what he has learned from training with some of Australia's best triathletes, as well as what drives and motivates him now. Will we see him on a start line soon? Jack, welcome to the podcast. You've made a name for yourself as the guy who asks some of the best pros and coaches how they train. Do you actually do some training yourself? Nowhere near as much as what I, I used to, Jamie, and, and thanks for having me on as uh, episode one of, of your podcast, a podcast you've been talking about for a couple of years now. Uh, no, I, I, I train a little bit now because I love triathlon, which is the whole reason why I have a, a podcast and a show and like a media platform that, that talks about it and because and, I live and breathe it. So I think it's something that I'm always going to do in some capacity, you know, obviously not to the level of a lot of the guys I talk to. Um, in the past, I've definitely done that. Now I sort of, I train with tri for triathlon sort of like like how the average retired athlete might might train. I sort of do what I want, when I want, or, or, or maybe a better way to describe it would be when a really serious athlete has a three to four week break, how they train in that break is probably how I train. So if I want to jump on Zwift and do a Zwift race, I'll do it. But if I don't, I won't. If I want to go for a run, you know, I'll do it. And it might be 4K or it might be 40K. It just, it just depends what I feel like on that day. There's no like structure to the way I train, it's sort of just like wake up and if I want to do it, I'll do it. And the thing that I do, it'll be decided five minutes before I leave. So yeah, I, I definitely train, but yeah, not to the level I once did. Well, that's interesting itself. And at least we've got something to talk about. So you mentioned a few things there and how you used to train. So how about you start by giving us a few minutes on your background in the sport, how you got into the sport um, and why you love it so much maybe. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, like I can take you right back. I, I sometimes find it a little bit boring when people go right back, you know, like when I read a biography, I always skip through the childhood parts because I care about the like finished product and I find the stuff around that fascinating. Like, so I read Bradley Wiggins autobiography for an example, and the whole childhood and the like, how'd you get into it? I actually find that really boring, but him talking about, you know, the behind the scenes of what happened at the 2012 or 2011 Tour de France, I find fascinating. So I will skim through it just because that's my preference. Um, I got into triathlon because one day this random person at a footy club in a small country town that I grew up in said, you would be good at triathlon. And I was like 11 at the time. I was so young. And I was like, what is that? And he explained it to me. And then he showed me, um, he showed me Kona that year. 
which I think was 2004's Kona. Um, and I watched it with him. And then from 2005 onwards, I watched Kona every year. And then I started watching other races. And then I started buying, you know, every triathlon magazine I could find. And I was a fan of the sport way before I did it. So probably from when I was like 10 or 11 to when I was like 16, 17, I never trained for triathlon. I, I never did a triathlon, but I was a fan of it. I watched everything. I consumed everything. I could tell you every stat you wanted to know about the sport. Um, I, I, I loved it. But I also didn't have anyone I could talk to about it because not one of my friends knew what it was. I didn't know another person who, who watched it or liked it or knew anything about it, maybe even who knew it existed. Um, and then what happened when I was 17, I, a couple of things happened. So I was playing um, Australian rules football uh, at like a high junior level and we did some, some testing and um, at that testing, there was a, a group of people there from like the, the Australian Institute of Sport and they approached me and said, hey, like, would you like to come up to the, the, the up to Canberra, which is where the, the Institute is and do some further testing. And so I went up there for a couple of weeks and did some testing and, you know, got involved with a few of the groups. Like there was um, a few people from the, the like Australian Olympic squad there in triathlon. There was some swimmers, there was some run, uh, race walkers, there was some cyclists. And I sort of just got involved in bits and pieces of all of it, did some testing. And then they said like, hey, um, if you ever want to come back and get involved, like we'd love to help you with the pathway to do that, set you up with a coach, um, that kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds good. But I, I never really took up that opportunity. And so that was when I was like 17. And then that sort of motivated me to train a little bit. So for my 18th birthday, I asked my mum if she'd buy me a bike and she bought me a, a Scott Addict road bike, uh, about a $1,800 road bike. And to me, that was like crazy. I couldn't like, it. Like I, I grew up in a, like a tiny little country town. We were, we were not well off and I could not believe that amount of money that my mum had spent on me. Like it, it just, it was crazy to me at the time. And obviously now being in the sport, I realized that is a box of shit bike relative to what <laughs> is used in triathlon. Uh, but to me, it was like, it was the most special thing that had ever happened to me. Um, and so I rode that a lot and I grew up running. I, I ran all the time from when I was like 13 or 14, I ran every single day, probably. I think from when I was in, in the first year of, of high school to probably uh, like, so from when I was like 13 to 16 or 17, I, I probably only didn't run four or five days that whole patch. Um, and it would just be like things like going for a, a five or six K jog around the block or, you know, doing a little, 15 minute fartlek session but I, I would run every day so i was i was a good runner and that's probably where the like a bit, bit of talent identification came from it wasn't because i, I don't think it was because i was a naturally talented athlete per se i think it was just because i was already training very seriously for, for what a kid would so i was quite well developed aerobically and um and and that kind of thing by the time i was a, a sort of a late teenager early adult and then when I got my bike, I started training and I entered a, a 70.3 um, and I did my first 70.3 and um, about seven weeks before it, my, this is actually a, an interesting story. About seven weeks before it, my grandma and grandpa, they sold their farm and they gave each of their, their grandkids $20,000. And so I, I was one of them. And with that $20,000, I decided to buy a time trial bike and it wasn't a good bike at the time. This, I don't even remember what year this was, like 2011, 12, something like that in that period. And, um, and so seven weeks before it, I, I bought a time trial bike. It was, it was a Boardman time trial bike because I was watching the Brownlee brothers race on them. And Alistair Brownlee was my hero. And, um, Dillies, I, isn't he? 
Yeah, he still is. I, I love him. Yeah, and yeah, you um, could go. You could do worse than that. <laughs> it's funny. I had posters of him up on my up on my wall, <laughs> and even now to this day, it's like um, it's a bit embarrassing that I still have them up, but I do. Uh, um, uh, so. I started training for like a 70.3, but I wasn't training properly for it, right? Like I, I <laughs> the most I would have done in a week was like 10 hours probably. But then when I bought this time trial bike seven weeks out, I'm like, no, no, I'm going to actually train for it now. And so I started doing like 20 hours a week for, you know, the six or seven weeks leading into it, including the week of the race. And, and I had a decent race. I think I, um, uh, I think off the top of my head, I finished in like four hours, 23 minutes, won my age group. Um, I think I came like 16th overall that year. It, the race got won in like four hours and eight minutes, something like that. Um, this is the races were a bit slower back then. Like technology wasn't what it is and, and that kind of thing. So um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Stop there. Stop there. So you did your first 70.3 self-coached or not even you just winging oh. your training, would you say? Yeah, just to call it self-coached would be sort of disrespectful to any form of coaching that's ever existed. It was like it it was it, it was it it was chaotic at best, right? Like I would just go and do random stuff. Like I would one day go and do so if we're talking about that like six, seven week period when I got my time trial bike, I'm like, no, I'm gonna take this seriously now. Like I've signed up for this. I spent like my life savings on it. It was like I think it cost two hundred and fifty dollars back then. I'm like, this is my life savings, so I spent that on it. Um, I, I probably would do things like one day I'd go and ride for seven hours and then the next day I would swim three times and then I would do nothing the next day. And then I would, you know, go and run 18 K and ride for two hours. And then the next day I might do a swim and a, like a six K run. And then the next day I'd go ride for three hours. It was just random, right? Like there was no rhyme or reason. There was, there was nothing. I just would go and swim, ride or run as much as I could that day. Um, and like, I actually was relatively fit, just, just had a good base and, and the training I was doing while chaotic and completely pointless. The thing about triathlon is training doesn't have to actually be that complicated because at the end of the day, there's a few like physiological parameters that really matter. Like how aerobically efficient are you? What's your, what's your aerobic capacity? Um, there's some things like strength and endurance is, is something that uh, takes a while to develop, but I'd been training for ages. Um, so like when it comes to running well off the bike, I felt like I was probably a little bit ahead of where my training was just because of how much I'd ran growing up. Um, and like the decade I, I'd been running beforehand. So like, yeah, my training was a bit crappy. And if it, if it had been more structured and, and a bit longer, I could have done better, but really we overcomplicate triathlon training. It's, it does reward the person who works the hardest, generally speaking, because of, of how our bodies work. So, um, adaptation to aerobic exercise is one of those things where as long as you're not sick and injured and, and, you know, you've got, um, good control of, of not overdoing things more is generally better. Like as a general rule that that's pretty universally agreed upon. Now there's like safe ways to do that and smart ways to do that. And there's little specific things that, that matter, um, you know, like doing some technique work in, in your swim and specific things on the bike, like getting good in your time trial position and you, and using a slightly bigger gear than what you would if you're just like riding your bike casually and, and then, and then learning to run well off the bike, but you know, and, and doing a lot of work at race pace, but you know, it's pretty simple. And so, just by, by the fact that I'd done a lot of training growing up and then I, I did sort of seven, six, seven weeks at 20 hours a week type thing, I was relatively fit. Um, so yeah, chaotic training, but got to the race and 
did okay. And, and I never had this thought of like, I want to do this professionally, really. I just was loving it. But what actually happened then, then I went away to uni for a little bit and, and stepped away from it. And, and I started feeling really shit about myself. Like I, I was drinking a lot at uni and, and just the, the least fit I'd ever been in my life, which I'd always grown up like doing stuff. And, and then I'm like, nah, I, I don't want this. Like I don't, I, I was doing a law degree. I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't want to be a lawyer. Like this is boring. I have no, there's no reason why I'm doing this. What I actually want to do is go on and exercise all day, every day. Um, and, and I've started doing triathlon and I love it. And, and it's probably my favorite sport. Like I want to try and make it. And so I just had this moment where I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, and then I, sh- I signed up for challenge shepherd in that day, which is a, a 70.3 distance race. Um, and I went for a 10 K run as soon as I signed up for it. And it was the worst run of my life. Probably still to this day, I felt so bad, but I was so motivated and I had, I think I had eight, eight or nine weeks to the race. I think it was. Um, and I was like, except I'm going to do it differently this time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it properly and I'm going to try and do it well. So I got in touch with uh, a local triathlon coach. So I was living in country Victoria at this time. And there was a guy called Dave Huggett, who was a, a, a triathlon Victoria development coach at the time. And I got in touch with him and he sort of said, yep, come along to our squad. And he had a squad that was focused around his, uh, his son, Jamie Huggett, who at the time was probably our best junior triathlete. He had just come um, fourth at the under 23 ITU um, world championships. So Johnny Brownlee had won it. Um, I think he'd beaten like on that race, like Mario Moller and Richard Murray. It was a, it was a really strong field. Um, and, and yeah, he'd come forth and he was, he was 19 or 20 when he, when he did come forth to Johnny that year. And this was an under 23 race. And so he was a very high level triathlete and I just jumped straight into that squad and I was by far the worst. There was sort of like four or five guys and they were all very good and they're still, or at least two of them, but, but most of them, they're still like really good mates of mine to this day. And I just jumped in, jumped in the deep end, swam with them every morning, would catch up with them for their ride every afternoon and then, and then run later on that day. They, they trained a lot like frequency wise, like two, three times a day, every single day, but they weren't doing any crazy high volume. So what I decided I was going to do was everything they do, I would just do a bit more because I felt like I was behind and I wanted to be better than them. So they, we would swim in the morning and they would do 5k. So I'd stay in and do 5.5k or 6k. We'd go out and ride our bikes and they'd ride for 90 minutes. So I'd do two hours or three hours or four hours. I'd basically just stay out there as long as I could until I had to meet them for their next session. So say they might do two hour ride, I'd do four hours and then give myself 20 minutes to get to the run. We would do a, a session where they do like um, a 6k fart leg. So I would do that with them, but I would do it twice. And I did that for like eight, seven or eight weeks maybe even nine weeks in the lead up to my next 70.3. And I just did that every session. And that was how I trained. I wasn't coached by Dave. I just would come along and then, and then did my own sort of, you know, add extra in every, every single session. And um, I was still like vastly under, underprepared and doing silly things. So on the, on the race day, like I strapped Kit Kats for my fueling to my bike um, on the, on my top tube. Um, that was my fueling Kit Kats and Coke. So I had in my bottles on my bike, I had two bottles. They both had Coke in them, fizzy Coke, not flat Coke. And I think I had two or three Kit Kats strapped to my top tube. And that was my nutrition on the bike. Um, and I, I didn't have a, a race suit. I had like a, a two piece suit. The top was a triathlon race suit and the bottom was just like some cycling nicks. Um, and uh, this I is bought, good. This I is really bought, good. I borrowed a wetsuit that had a hole in it. And uh, yeah, so, so it was like, it was a funny experience, but I did really well. Like 
even looking back on it, and I'm not like a very pumps myself up person because I'll I'll be the first to tell you like my triathlon career was absolutely horrible, and I, I would even go as far to say as non-existent. But this, even to this day, this is something I look back on and go like oh, I'm pretty proud of that. Still, I um I finished in four hours and two minutes, uh, I believe it was, and came seventh overall. Um, Josh Amberger won that day in. 354 i think um and it was yeah i had a really good day i i was really consistent um and and it made me realize like i think i can do this professionally um so i took my pro card after that um and then i started training to to try and do it full time and got a bit more serious and hired a coach and um yeah really really started to learn about what i had to do and and became a bit more professional i, I always had like a bit of chaos about me like I would always add extra to what my coach would set me. So um, I had a couple of coaches throughout that time. Um, I, I worked with Grant Giles as my first coach. He was sort of the probably the the leading triathlon coach in Australia at the time. He was working with Tim Reed and Tim Van Burkle and Clayton Fatale and uh, Brad Carlefelt. He had a, he had a really good squad, and he took me on as part of that squad. And I don't know, he'd set a thirty hour week, and it would turn into a thirty six hour week, and I'd do that secretly. So I'd record on my Garmin, say like a six hour ride, and then it would turn into a seven hour ride. The last hour would just be unrecorded and that kind of thing. And and I was a chronic overtrainer like that. Like I would just do stupid shit, like so much. There was, I, I've actually looked back on this, um, on my training peaks. There was a six month period where I didn't do under 34 hours of training for one week in six months. And I was like a 20, 20 year old kid at the time. <laughs> and uh, And it like, I got really fit and I was doing well. Like I, I seriously was, I was, I was, I was, uh, I think I was, I was looking like I was going to be one of the better young kids in middle distance triathlon in Australia, but I just was a bit dumb and I probably needed someone around to like, who I trusted to be like, mate, this is the most short sighted, stupid thing you could be doing because what ended up happening is, is my body got absolutely cooked and, um, I got really skinny, so I'm like six foot three. I'm about if you if you look at Jan Frodeno, I'm a I'm a tiny bit shorter than Jan Frodeno, but I'm pretty much that height, and I weighed seventy three kilos. So that's like I was sickly skinny, and it wasn't because I wasn't eating; it was because I was just like so chronically overtrained. Um, uh, my body wasn't agreeing with me. Like my testosterone would have been crazy low. Like I was, it was um, it was silly on reflection the way I was training. And then uh, ultimately what ended up happening was uh, I crashed my bike in a race one day, broke my um, pelvis and femur um, and, and my foot. And yeah, my, my body never, never, never recovered from that. It was a pretty bad crash. It was, um, yeah, it was sort of like uh, people like look at Chris Froome at the moment and they go, well, he clearly just isn't doping. That's why he's gone to shit, which might be true. He, he might've been doping when he was, when he was really good. And, and now he's after his crash and his success and he's on that big contract with a small team, he's probably decided like, maybe I don't want to do that. I think that's a pretty good theory, but there is a reality that those big crashes where you smash your, smash your sort of like um, hip and pelvis and, and shatter those bones. I can speak from personal experience that they, they do really fuck you. Like, my body's still not the same. I get it was on my, it was on my left side, and I still get injured on my left side almost every year. Even doing the training I'm doing, like stress fractures and like little niggles. My Achilles has always got niggles now. My left hand side, my calf, my chronic like ITB pain, 
and it's there's no rhyme or reason and i've done everything you could do to try and get back like i hung on to the dream for like four or five years of still being a good pro but my body was just cooked right it was just absolutely cooked and and so i never yeah i never got back and and that was why um that's that's i'm sure we'll get to it but that's the catalyst for the podcast is I um I want to stay I wanted to stay involved in the sport I love and probably had um probably had gotten to a point where I was like well I'm I'm done with this sport like I can't make it anymore my body doesn't allow me to make it I, it was all I wanted I di- I didn't have a backup plan I didn't have a plan bl- plan B um, and, I, and I really didn't have a plan B um and and then like I took two years out of the sport where I, I wasn't in at, in the sport at all I'd sort of fallen out of love with it out of resentment towards the sport. Um, which was tough because it was, it would, it was like such a big part of my life and it, I lived and breathed it. And, and like, I got to some pretty dark places there where, because I was so all in on it, I was like, well, what, what do I do now? Like, what am I without that sport? What, like, what goals do I have? You know, what do I, like, what am I without it? And that was a tough thing um, and led, led to some tough moments. But uh, I mean, it did, it did end up coming, coming back to me and, and I probably wasn't happy for the, the period where I wasn't in the sport at all. It, it was probably like my most unhappy period of my life. Um, and, and, and yeah, so that's what led me back into the sport, but in the form of the media, not, not actually through training or racing. And it's like, it's, it's a weird one where I'm really happy and I, I love covering the sport and, and love chatting to people, but there's like, there's elements of me that, that wish, it was uh wish it was different and wish i was on the other end of it you know racing and and um like i watched challenge roth on the weekend for example and i just love to be out there competing because because that's what i am i think at my core is like i'm a i'm someone who loves competition and loves racing and uh yeah that's that's something i want to do next year as well as an age grouper i like i don't want to set a small goal i'm not someone like i never I'm, i'm never the kind of person who just gets uh excitement for for like finishing a a race or like going to a race and being there i I enjoy it but i don't i don't live for that like if i go and you know do a fun run or or go to a 70.3 and 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 stand there and watch it i enjoy it but it doesn't like it doesn't get me going but competing trying to win something at that event that gets me going so like i want to set myself a big goal next year i think like go and win the age group overall at challenge roth or or win a 70.3 um, overall age group championship or something like that. Yeah, right. Well, thanks for sharing all that. There's, there's a lot in that already. Um, and I was uh, furiously scribbling notes just so I could try and keep up with it. Because I thought the way I was going to do this was talk about you, like how you got into the sport, talk about you racing as a pro and chasing that dream, and then talk about how you train now. But I feel like with everything you just uh, given us there, I need to ask a few more questions. So. Firstly, what was the time period between that first 70.3 and that crash where it kind of derailed everything? So my first 70.3, I think was 2012. I'd have to go and look all this stuff up, mate. Um, That's all right. right. Just ballpark's fine. 2012, crash was 2015. So Okay, so a few years in there. Yeah, three years of good training. Well, probably two and a half years of good training. Yeah. So, and I I don't think we can brush over the fact that you, you sort of did your own thing. We're doing about 10 hours of training. Then you got your new bike, did seven weeks of 20 hours a week. Uh, and then you went and did a, a 423, one-year age group, which I assume at that age would have been 1824. Which which race was that? I think the first 70.3. It, 
Um, that was Yapoon, I believe. Yeah. Okay. I should have come prepared. I should have gone and got all these results. That would actually be really interesting. Um, because it's something you there wasn't good coverage of the sport back there. Like we have such great race coverage now in in for age groupers, right? Professional side things a bit different. Like you can go and look at your results, right? So you can do um what was your last race you did, Jamie? Geelong? Yeah, Geelong, yeah, this year, 2023, yep. Yeah, so you can go and do Ironman 70.3 Geelong and the amount of data you get about your race is like as an age group is so good. Like you can go and look at all the details, where you came in your age group, you swim, your bike, your run, how it compares to everyone else. That didn't exist back then. So it was like really basic new sort of um, information. So all you would get is at the end, you would sort of get where you came overall in your age group because um, it wasn't even, there wasn't even a good tracker at that point. And yeah, I, I mean, I sort of, because I went out of the sport, I resented what I'd done in the sport. Like I resented, I, I used to look back on what I'd done with, um, it just make, make, would make me sad. So I sort of like avoided mm. it so long, but now that I've sort of like come to grips with it, comes to terms that I really should go back and get all my results. And um, yeah, rather than just like pretend that I never raced, like, cause that's what I sort of did to myself a little bit, pretended that I was never in the sport because I was so disappointed with where I got in it. Like I was so disappointed that I never made it and like thought so little of myself. Like thought like, just thought I failed. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I, yeah. I avoid it. I don't know if you, if you can relate to that with anything you've done where like you, you was, you, you were so disappointed and, and down on yourself that you sort of, you want to pretend it didn't even happen. Yeah. Probably not me personally, but yeah, being a coach, I, I think, people have periods and, and events that happen in their life and that's what they try to do. They, they just try and uh, push them away, which I think for someone who loves triathlon as much as you do, clearly you're very, very passionate about it. Um, yeah, obviously that could be, you know, it's hard to hear, I guess, in a way, because it's, um, yeah, you obviously did pour your heart and soul into it for a good few years there, really trying to make it and, um, and then it, it didn't really work. And so you had a period of time where you, you just push it away. Um, and, and I think what's disappointing for me is the way I did it. Like I did a lot of great training and some, some periods of training that were really close to world-class at the time and, and did some stuff in training that was close to world-class at the time. It wasn't world-class by any stretch, but it was close. And I didn't do enough racing. Like I didn't take advantage of it. I didn't have things structured well enough. Like I wish, I wish I was a kid doing it now with all the extra information you have and the availability to information you have because I was it was the wild west the way I was training and, and going about it. I um I did so much training, so little racing. So I don't like have a lot to talk about. Like I did a handful of of middle distance races and none of them to my potential, I don't think. Um like I, I saw myself as someone who should be winning them when I was like twenty one. Or at mm. least competing to win them. And I wasn't I wasn't. Like I, I really wasn't at that level. But I saw myself like that, which I think you sort of have to in a way um yeah i sort of I, you can you can probably hear talk like me talk talking about it. i sort of oh, i have a lot of regret about that period you know what i mean yeah i do well i think you're one of the original sort of triathlon fans i think that's clear from anyone who listens to your podcast but obviously just you know you you're talking about when you first were introduced to the sport as an 11 year old and then sort of 10 years later doing your first 70.3 and then sort of going all in with it um you're definitely one of the you know, original triathlon fans. And um, yeah, I think that's interesting in itself. But what, I, what I want, I'm trying to come back to here is, so you did, did that training, you go 423, which let's be honest, a lot of people will never achieve a 423. And 
I think you said it right there. It's about achieving your potential. So it's not necessarily about comparing across the board, but for you, um, you know, you're not necessarily happy with that, but that's, that's a pretty good debut 70.3. And then to come back a couple of years later and do challenge Shepard and go 402 come seventh overall. And in both of those races, you're in within 15 minutes of the winner, uh, which is you know, quite handy. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, but I think in comparison to what you wanted to achieve it, and what you thought your potential was, I think that's why it's uh, it's disappointing. And you asked before, you know, whether I can relate. I think in some ways, like I've been in the sport a long time too. I did my first seventy point three around a similar time, Geelong seventy point three, and um, I had a period where I don't think I was as all in as you were. And there's definitely a common theme there where you're just doing more, more, more. But there was a period where you know I'd been told that. I could make it as a pro and I should really try. And I was definitely misguided at the time, but um, yeah, I definitely, I, I think now that I've had a little bit more time to think about it, I probably can relate to what you're saying around, you know, feeling resentment towards it and being a bit disappointed and, you know, wishing I had done things a little bit differently back in that, back at that time. I guess the difference between you and I though, is I didn't have a break from it. Um, I stayed in the sport as an athlete and then got into coaching and I've sort of been you know more consistently involved with it uh whereas you you sort of pulled yourself away uh, for the obvious reasons i think now having heard the story and then you've come back to it and yes you're loving what you're doing but there is definitely a part of you of you know it's hard it's hard not to think back to the past and uh and go oh what if i didn't done this and what what if i'd done that and again knowing what we know now uh you you could have and should have done a few things differently um, but yeah, you're obviously coming in now, but I love that you're, you're now thinking about setting a really big age group goal and really going after that. Cause that's obviously part of your personality. It's ingrained in you and you've got a deep history with the sport. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but maybe could you take us a little bit inside, you know, training with Clayton Fattel, Tim Van Berkel, Tim Reed, um, and what that training was like, like you talked about doing more, um, but you know, can you take us inside that environment? And, you know, I think you moved up that way and and lived like Grant Giles um, was sort of known to have a squad, but it was a, wasn't a remote squad. It was a, uh, I can't think of the word where, where everyone was sort of living and training together. Yeah. So it was based in Lennox head, which is uh, a beachside town in Northern New South Wales um, in Australia, Grant Giles. Yeah. He had a really good squad and you're right. Everyone was living there. So or living thereabouts, like a lot of the boys were like Ballina, Byron Bay, um, Lennox Head. Everyone was sort of within this 30-minute bubble of each other. Um, Sam Appleton was there at the time. Um, Brad Carlefelt was there. Peter Robinson was there, two-time world champion. It was a, it was a really good squad. And uh, I was just like a young kid who I went up there. What Grant tended to do was you would go up there. He would get you up there and you, you would sort of live there for two or three weeks and do some training and then um then you could decide like hey do you like it here is do you want to you want to be involved in the squad you know do you want to commit to coming up here a bit more full time and i sort of did that um i mean the probably the biggest eye-opener for me with those guys is because <laughs> and this might sound silly i idolized anyone who was a professional triathlete and and they were just real people and so yeah. I, there's a story that i tell off air all the time which is the best answer for this question like can, like if you, you can you tell me about your time there it's a story i can't tell on air if i told it on air it would just it would get it would get it's just an it's a story that that has to be told behind behind uh, closed doors but what 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 the story is in in essence is 
I, the first training session I did with all of the boys, so like Reedy, Apo, Burks, Clayton, um, Peter, before the session, we met at a cafe and I didn't know anyone. And I rocked up there and um, sat down at the cafe and then Burks got there and then Apo, no, then Apo got there and we talked for a bit and then then Reedy got there and then Clayton got there and, and Burks was late and um, <laughs> Burks rocked in about 30 minutes late and we were just sitting there and people, you know, ordered two coffees and had a piece of cake and whatever and we were, we were going to go do a ride session afterwards and they were all just sitting there relaxed, talking and I was like, this is not how I've been training. This is not the mentality I've had around training. Because for me, if I was going to do a three-hour ride in the morning, for example, with efforts, I would wake up and I would be so purpose-driven. I'd be like, I would just be eyes on that session, like serious, like it was race morning. And I would be like that every single day before every single session. And I would do that session perfectly and I would nail it. And if I didn't nail it, I'd be down on myself. And it was business to me. And I, like, I had that. That was how I viewed it. Because I thought that's how you had to be. Um, and, and I'd grown up in a pretty strict environment with team sport and, and doing that at a high level. So that's how that was. Um, and then I got to this cafe and they're all sitting around there. And to me, it just seems like they couldn't have given less fucks about what we were doing that day. Like they, they didn't care if we left an hour later than what we were planning to, to leave. I, I, like I got the vibe that they didn't even care if we did the session properly. Like if it turned into a 90 minute easy ride, I, I got the vibe that they'd be like, oh, that's just what it is. And I was just sitting there like, what is going on? Like, this isn't what I expected at all. And, um, and then Burks got there and the story he gave as to why he's late is my single favorite story that I've, I've got. It's, it's like, if I could tell, if, if someone asked me, Hey, tell me one story to make me laugh. That's the story I'd go to. So I can't, I can't give his reason, but it just made me realize like, Oh, these are just, this is just not what I expected. This is not what I thought this sport was. Um, these are just like relaxed, you know, normal people. And it, it sort of, it was an eye opener for me um, a little bit. And then we, we started doing that ride and it was really slow at the start, you know, like we were spinning around at 27, 28 K an hour. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is not how I ride because I wasn't doing like what, what I was doing pre grant was just like, I would just go out my bike and I'll just ride as hard as I could for as long as I could. Basically, um, even with the group I'd, I'd start training with in Ballarat, we, we rode hard. Like, we would never not ride 32k an hour average and we were riding on like where i was where i was in ballarat training with them it was hilly and hard riding like it was you know probably like 240 250 watts average for every single ride um as a, as a minimum we didn't do easy riding and so i got there with these like best triathletes in australia and you know and they, they were just spinning i'm like what the hell and i would go to the front and I, I was like did that typical thing that i've seen a lot of people do at my times and i'd be you know 20 meters ahead of the group and they'd just be sitting there chilling so it was a really eye-opening experience getting there with that professional squad because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I expected. And at the time, I sort of looked at it as like, oh, I can do better than this. Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outwork these guys and I'll be better than them, which is a really naive, ignorant, young, young way of thinking, isn't it? Like every 20-year-old every guy who's taken the sport serious can probably relate to that kind of mindset. And like now as a, as a 30-year-old, I look at that and be like, oh, you know, <laughs> like, what an idiot. What a, what a young idiot. Um, I, I wish I had have had the, the maturity be, beyond my years to look at that and be like, oh, whatever they do, I'm going to do it exactly as they do it. Um, and, and that'll probably set me on the right path. And, and instead of assuming that what they're doing is wrong, I'm going to ask them why they do it. I just wish I had had that level of maturity back then. Um, 
And then like, yeah, I'd just jump in for training um, while I was up there and I'd still do it quite a bit by myself because, you know, Grant would set you your individual program, but then you'd catch up with, with people to do some swims and rides and runs and it was just good. It was, it was a nice place to train. It was a lot warmer weather than where I was from. It was a really good environment to train in. Um, not long after I went up there though, the squad sort of broke apart a little bit. There was a bit of drama inside the squad and, and, and everyone sort of went, went their own way. So it was quite poor timing. Um, uh, and, and I ultimately stopped getting coached by Grant because of it as well, because of the bit of drama that was going on. Um, not, not for any other reason than, than Grant just had some stuff in his life and I felt like he was pretty busy. And then I, um, then I moved across to, uh, to some different coaches. Um, like I started doing some work with Matty White, who was a, an Australian professional triathlete, which didn't last long because, um, yeah, that was sort of right around the period that my body was pretty cooked, but yeah. Yeah, cool. So I think there's a bit in there, like just the environment. And I do like that story about them being really, really casual and that fun in enjoying, just mates enjoying the company together. It just so happened that their jobs is to be, was to be some of the best triathletes Australia's ever produced. And yeah, I really like the going easy on the easy rides. Like I think there's a, there's a lot in that, that, that age groupers can, can learn from, we can all learn from. So that's very interesting. Um, and I, you know, you asked me before whether I could relate, I could definitely relate to being on, 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 everything have to be perfect, like get up at this time, do this session exactly as, as written. Whereas now again, 10 years down the track, you know, it's not always like that. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily like the word balance, but I think it's having that balance of when to be on and when to be off. Um, now let's, uh, before we move on from this chapter, tell us a little bit about the weekly structure whilst you're up there and maybe you know, some of the sessions within that. And if there is a standout session that you, you think you think of when you look back on that time. Yeah. So obviously hard to remember because it was so long ago, but I'll, I'll talk to you about what I do remember. So the structure was very triathlon. Um, we would swim Monday morning. We would do an easy ride Monday afternoon and an easy little Monday afternoon jog. So the swim would be every swim you do as a triathlete tends to be relatively hard. That that's the way the sport's always been. It's the way swimming is as well. So Monday morning swim would be, you know, quite solid four or five K of, of pretty hard work. Um, usually probably some, some threshold stuff. So for, for some like, um, numbers, um, for me at the time, um, I was like someone who didn't grow up swimming at all, but I picked up swimming, which is, I think is rare. I think a lot of people who don't grow up, don't pick up swimming and 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 to be a good swimmer you have to have swum as a child but it was the thing that i probably picked up the most naturally um so i'd, I'd probably swam for like a year and, and for, for say a typical session there on a monday morning we might have done like you know 20 100s and i'd do them like on a 120 cycle come in like 115 114 type of thing um and then and then the, the ride might be like 90 minutes easy um and then the the run might be like six to 12 K just, just an easy run. Um, Tuesday would, would be like big gear work on the bike. And that's what stands out to me from that period. That's the thing that I remember is the amount of big gear work we did on the bike. So we would do it like Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday would all have elements of, of doing over gear work on the bike, say like five, five minutes or a, a big session we would do like on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, there would always be like, one of them would be sh shorter big gear efforts. One of them would be longer big gear efforts and one of them would be hill rep big gear efforts. So say this week, it might've been like Tuesday would be um, 
Yeah, like four times 10 minutes, big gear to a certain power, um, four by 15 minutes, big gear to a certain power with five minutes recovery between everything. Um, and then you might finish with like four by five minutes. So it would be quite long sessions, you know, like two, two and a half hours worth of big gear work with, with half of that, uh, with like three, uh, probably two thirds of that being efforts and one thirds of that being recovery. Um, yeah, so that was really typical, like four fifteens, four tens, four fives, big gear. And then Thursday might be, you know, like six times eight minutes, big gear. And then Saturday might be like five to six to, to eight um, hill reps, big gear, which would be like four or five minute hill reps, all seated, all big gear, easy ride recovery back. That's the big takeaway for me. Um, that if, I, if, if like I would say, like, what was the foundation of that program? It was being a better cyclist. And how they would do that was through quite high volume and a lot of big gear specific work, um, all in, in a seated TT position. Um, and it really worked. Like it worked unbelievably well. I, I went from being that the, the bike was my weakness to without question being my strength. And that's something you'll know of all those guys at the time. They were so far ahead of everyone else around them on the bike, like Reedy, Clayton, Apo, they all came in and that's how they would would win races. They would ride off the front of races or be very strong on the bike and followed up with consistent runs, um, particularly Apo when he burst onto the scene. So there was a lot of that kind of work um, at the time. And and then the running, like the running was largely just easy running, I would say. Like, yeah, largely easy running. We'd do a long run, a lot of easy jogging, and then like just some, some, some like specific sessions, like a lot of the sessions were just at race pace, um, like at 70.3 race pace, you know, like we might do like, um, you know, six by two K at race pace or, um, three, three by 10 minutes at race pace or all that kind of thing. It was never, we didn't do a lot of like, uh, shorter, faster running. Like we weren't doing any four four hundreds or two hundreds or one k's really that that sort of stuff didn't exist we weren't going to the track very regularly it was just a lot of like thresholdy type running um and then every swim we did was hard so you know it, like yeah every time we swim it would be three to six k and it was always it was always pretty solid yeah very interesting just yeah simple but clearly effective and again it worked for you but you know some of the names you're training with there they have gone on to and continue to be some of the best uh, triathletes that Australia's produced. Yeah. And I think with those guys, like they all definitely, when they left Grant, I think they all started to train a little bit differently. Like they went away to different coaches. Like I know Apo, he, he, he definitely, he wasn't in that group too much. I don't think like, I don't know if he ever personally got coached by Gilesy. I'm not too sure. Like, I think maybe he started working with Reedy as his coach, as his first like serious coach. And I know they did things very differently. Like they had a bit of a different approach. I know that Reedy's approach is, um, is quite different to Grant's. Although I think you, I think from talking to him and, and understanding him that his um, approach has elements of what he learned from Grant, but it has elements of what he learned from all of his coaches, like Plusy and Cousins and 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 Matt Dixon. And and yeah, I think over time they all went away from that style and 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 you know shaped it into into what they do today, which is maybe a bit more of a scientific approach, a bit more of a specific approach, a, a bit more of a balanced approach. But yeah, under under Grant and. And, and at that time, it was very old school. It was very like all the old school triathlon coaches. That's that's how their programs run. You know, if you we don't need to get into who I'm talking about there, but yeah, all the old school triathlon coaches. That's high volume, 
big gear work on the bike, specific work on the run, hard swimming. It's pretty pretty standard. Yeah, cool. So what was what was your PB back then what, in terms of time and or is there a race that was your best race? Oh, best race. You said you didn't race much, but I'm, I'm sure you did some racing. Um, we've talked about those, you know, the, your first two races and sort of been low four hours. It's and then you sort of went all in. So, uh, yeah, what's your PB? And then also, is is there a best race and is it the same race? Yeah, it's funny. My PB, I think, is 354. But my best race wasn't actually a middle distance race, Jamie. It was um, it was uh, an Olympic distance um, draft, uh, dra- draft free, like non-drafting race. Um, that was without question. It was a, it was just a random one in Australia where it was a 1500-meter swim, 40k bike, and and 10k run. Or oh, I think the run was actually like 9k, but it was it was touted as 10k. And I don't know. I think at that time that distance suited me, where um, where I probably was a bit young for the the middle distance. Like I was still only in my very early 20s. Um, I, I still think I probably needed a few years to really get to my potential in 70.3 distance racing. And um, I think I would have. I think ultimately I was suited to longer stuff and probably would have had my best results at Ironman, you know, like speaking completely hypothetically, which is almost impossible. And I could be completely wrong and, and naive there, but that's what I assume would have ended up happening. Um, but yeah, my, my best race ever. And, my, and the, the, like the numbers, the way I felt was, was, a yeah, it was this. So I, it was a race that doesn't exist anymore. Um, it, I got the course record there. Uh, I won by like eight minutes. It was just, I just had a magic day for where I was at. Like I'd never experienced that where I swam, I was with um, two other guys out of the swim, leading the swim and swam like f- honestly fast, like way faster than I'd ever swam in a race to like ever, ever did. I never swam that fast again. It was just, I just had one of those days where it just felt, it just felt easy. Um, and like I would take, I was, I was taking turns leading in the swim and, and, and surging and that kind of thing, which I'd never experienced before. Um, and then on the bike, that, that was where I really had a great day. Like I just, yeah, I can't, I can't explain it. Still to this day, I've never had that feeling on a bike. And um, one of the things I did do after like I left triathlon was I took cycling pretty seriously. And, you know, I was, um, I got like offered a contractor for a, a like a, uh, not a perfect, like it is a professional cycling team, but not a world tour cycling team, like a, the run below that, a, a British cycling team, like a development cycling team. I got offered a contract there to ride professionally and was sort of going to head that direction. And I did some good sessions before that. Like I did a, um, a 20 minute test, like in, in a lab where I, like I held 440 Watts for, for 20 minutes and that kind of thing, but nothing compared I've never felt on a bike the way I felt that day in that race. I think I held for the 40 K, I think I held like, um, 385, 390 Watts. Um, and just felt like I can't, I can't describe it. I've never felt that good. Felt easy, felt smooth, got off feeling fresh, had a good lead and ran pretty solid. Um, I think I ran like, uh, not, not that fast, but I think I ran like 320 per K for it. Um, but just, just had one of those good days and, Oh yeah, uh, I look back on that on that race pretty fondly, uh, despite like actually finding it quite hard to talk about myself in a positive light. Not something I'm good at, but yeah, I, I, I yeah, I had a good day that day, um, and probably one of the very few days. Like I, I mean it when I say like I had a crap career. I wasn't actually very good. I didn't do much. I, I didn't achieve anything. Like honestly, um, and so I'm a bit embarrassed even talking about about it you know like because it's just it's so underwhelming to me and i don't want there to be any any uh, like i don't want 
I don't want to convey that I did anything in the sport because I did nothing in the sport. And, and honestly, the way I look at it, I achieved nothing in the sport and was not very good. But that was probably, if, if there was one day that I was proud of, it was, it was that dra- uh, non-drafting Olympic distance race I, I did once back in uh, 2015. So, yeah. And which race was that and what was your, what was your time? So it was, um, I don't remember the town's name. It was about three hours uh, south of, of where I was living up at Lennox. And I went there with one of the guys. I'd have to look up the town's name. That's why I didn't actually even say it. I think it started with T. Let me, I, I can I can get that to you. Um, time, could not tell you. I think, again, I'd have to look at it. Uh, I'm sorry, this is vague. It's, it's I, I do not remember. Um, I just know that I won it and, and got the course record. Uh, I don't even know how I'd find that. Did the race exist? Are you making this up? Yes. The one thing I have, I've still got a newspaper paper article for it that I have on my phone. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I can no, no, look no, it up right now. I'm just teasing you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, it does sound no, vague. No. It does sound vague. Uh, it was like a little... Um, country-ish town triathlon that was ran by the local triathlon club that did do good numbers like i had like four four or five hundred people there but so that's what i mean it wasn't like a big Ooh. 70.3 it was like it wasn't you know like a 70.3 geelong or um it wasn't like a 70.3 um melbourne or anything like that where you can look back it was a it was a random day in a random country town where i went there for a little trip stayed the night with one of the other young guys who was who was training with giles at the time and um and he raced as well and yeah it's just it was it was basically like a training day, but it was the most magic day I ever had. So, yeah, yeah, just one of those days where it all clicks. Yeah, but again, not actually something that like means anything because it's such a nothing race. I got I got for winning it, I got one hundred and fifty dollars in in an envelope. That was the the prize. So, yeah, that's better than nothing, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, look, we've we've talked a lot about your training around that time and. Um, it's, I think it's quite interesting here you having to dissect it and I'm not sure if it's something you've talked about for a while you, you clearly don't like talking about yourself and don't like bringing it up and I think the fact that you were genuinely trying to make it genuinely thought you could make it and were you were training with some of the best that Australia had at the time I think it sort of speaks to you know it's all about the context right and it's relative to what you're comparing yourself to and what you were trying to achieve I think it's safe to say, and I'll say it for you, that you know it's a it's a pretty a pretty good, very short, but yeah, pretty good, uh, some pretty good outcomes in terms of triathlon and, and what you achieve there. If you just purely look at times, and clearly I'm enjoying this, like I, I keep programming you because I find this stuff interesting. It's the whole reason why I started this podcast, and the whole reason why I wanted to talk to you and get you on first because I just I just I just love this stuff the same way I think you do. Um, and we've just got slightly different backgrounds in the sport. So just to wrap up this, this period of your life, uh, just because we do need to move on at some point, I could keep talking about this all day. Uh, tell us a little bit about the technology around that time. You know, what equipment were you using? You know, go th- just quickly go through swim, bike, run. You know, and you mentioned uh, testing as well. So what sort of testing uh, were you doing? Uh, can you share any of your numbers uh, if you remember any of those sorts of things? And then I promise we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, I, I, the vagueness is real because it's like it's over 10 years ago or, or like a lot of this is over 10 years ago. And it, you're right. I don't look back on it ever. I, like I don't think about it. I don't talk about it. And so 
I came wildly underprepared. I, I, I shouldn't have, but um, I don't know. It's sort of like, because I'm so disappointed in how it all played out, I've tried to forget it. And like, that might sound completely ridiculous. And with current day triathlon where every age group finishes a race and you have everything about that race in front of you, it's all on mine. That didn't exist. It, it seriously didn't exist. So um, it's like, like, I don't remember a lot of like what times I did. I don't remember a lot of like the races. Like I would, uh, the amount of like little country races I did that I just have no idea what town they were anymore. I just remember the race. Like that, that's a real thing. And so it does sound probably vague, but it's cause it's a period of my life that in a way I've tried to forget, like honestly, and like, and get awkward and hate talking about because um, I don't look back on much of it fondly. Like that's the reality. So, um, but, but to answer you, to your, your, like your final question there, technology was different. The sport was nowhere near as advanced. So race suits, there wasn't like sleeve tri suits, for example, that, that didn't really exist. That would sort of had just started coming in at the end of it in like, 2013 2014 2015 that was when sleeved race suits came in so i would wear like a two-piece tri suit like shorts tri tri suit shorts and like a um like a singlet kind of top um which you still kind of see people wear but not really um in terms of the swim you would just like wear a shitty wetsuit they're like that wetsuit development has come a long way they were they were not as good as what they are now like if you look at like a company like Deboer and what they're doing we we didn't have anything like that we just had sort of like those the the 250 dollar entry level option of wetsuit that you get from every brand right now was like what we would race in at the high end of wetsuits back then um on the bike so i raced uh i ra i was sponsored by giant giant bikes at the time um so i had their time trial bike which was really good it was a frame that was ahead of its time it's still pretty much the same frame as what they use now actually um and I would race with like an 80, 80 millimeter carbon front wheel and a disc disc wheel on the back. So that's all pretty standard, but the big thing was position. So I never got a bike fit, not, not once. Um, Grant Giles, I believe, if I don't even actually remember this, this might be a memory I'm making up, but I believe that I was in his, uh, that he helped me with a bike fit one day. And that was the position I used. Like I, I have a, a vague memory of, of being there and him adjusting my bike for me and being like, how's this feel? How's this look? You know? Um, and, and that was the position I rode in and, and I never got a bike fit. So, um, and, and it was just with like stock, um, you know, aero extensions, which were, were crap. Um, it was like, that was the big thing, bike position and bike posi position optimization wasn't around until I left the sport. Um, there was sort of some guys who had started like 20, I want to say like 2012, 2013 was when that stuff was starting, but it wasn't, and there wasn't the wildfire like now, like now Magnus Ditliv put something down his race suit. Um, in 2022, Magnus Ditliv put, you know, um, uh, uh, like a, a Tupperware type container down his race suit for the first time. He was the first person to do that in triathlon. And by, by midway through 2023, a year later, every age grouper is doing it and every professional is doing it because of social media and the the like wildfire spread of, of information whereas that didn't happen back there so like you might see like that like luke mckenzie in 2013 really optimized his bike position wore a sleeve tri suit that kind of thing innovative like that but it didn't mean that you were doing the same thing in 2013 it just didn't happen like that like it does now um that's like a really great part of the sport so yeah riding like decent equipment and decent bikes um but not optimized, like really unoptimized. So 
But I think there wasn't the arms race in terms of technology and power mattered more and just how fit you were mattered more. It wasn't like, okay, invest time in your position and and your equipment because no one was really doing it. So it was a bit more, it was a bit more like the, the fittest man will win. Um, whereas now, you know, as an age grouper, for example, there's some really serious age groupers who have great positions, have optimized their equipment, their setups, um, that kind of thing. And then there's some age groupers who have done none of that. And that's not a fair race. And those times aren't fair to compare because over the course of like a 70.3, you're probably giving away 15 minutes on a bike. Like it's that big a difference. And so an age group who goes and rides like two hours, two hours and five minutes for a 70.3 right now, um, you might have an age group who rides 230 who actually pushed as much power as that guy. Like it really can be that big of a difference now, or it may be not as much, but very similar uh, and not as not as big a gap as what it seems like, whereas that didn't really exist back then. Um, and then on the run, the run obviously is like, there was no super shoes. I, I wore a pair of um, Adidas Addy Zeros, I think. Um, and the reason why I wore them was because Alistair Brownlee wore them, which is like everything in my life at the time. And everything I thought Alistair was doing, I would try and do. Um, so they were the the shoe, the yellow race shoe that he won Kitzbühler in in 2011. And I bought about five pairs of them when I saw that and, and I raced in them the whole time. Yeah, cool. How old are you? Because you talk about like you're you're ancient, but you're you're under thirty still, aren't you? I'm thirty. Yep. You're thirty. Yeah, yeah. Because you're talking like as if it was uh, in the dark ages, but it wasn't actually that long ago. It just feels like a long time ago. I think. I, I think tri- triathlons come a long way, though. Do you know what I mean? So I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Tri- I know what you're saying. It was very different, and a lot of triathlon fans weren't in the sport ten years ago. So this this stuff was all happening twelve to eight years ago. Um, Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe like, yeah, 12 to 12 to 10 years ago. And it was very different time in triathlon. There's a reason why the times were so much slower and, and that kind of thing back then. The, the last five years is when almost like all of the current triathlon innovation we've seen has happened. The last five years have changed triathlon forever. Um, sort of like, I would say since Jan Fredino started to take over is when triathlon really, really changed. Like 2016, 17, and then since COVID, it's just gone to like another level. It's crazy now how innovative the sport is and 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 how far far on it's coming in this space of two or three years. Like the age groupers now would like the best age groupers now would have if if you just inserted them with everything they have now, they would win so many pro seventy point threes back when I was doing it. Like just due to technology. Yeah, absolutely. It's it like the we talk a lot about the pros and the innovations and the the top of the top like even looking at roth over the weekend and some of those times but just in the age group field it's the same thing like there's the guys winning individual age groups might be there or thereabouts what it was five ten years ago but the depth like obviously the involvement in sport has gone up which is definitely a good thing but then you know the depth of uh you know, how, how quick some of these guys are going. And, and you said it before, they're almost like professional age group of some of these guys and how dialed in they are and some of the times that, that they're putting out well, as well. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's very interesting. And yeah, if, if I think about it the way you put it, there's been a big, steep upwards trajectory in the last five years or so. Yeah, and I know I talk about it like, like it's ancient. It's why I love talking to people like Craig Alexander and Luke McKenzie. And these are guys I spend a lot of time talking to. Um, because that period of the sport before I was in it was even it's like technology was like non-existent right like it was 
It, it, it's crazy how different the sport would have been in 2005 to 2010 compared to 2020 to 2025. It's like, it's the same sport, but it's so different and it's come so far in terms of um, technology. Yeah, crazy for sure. Hey guys, if you have made it this far, thank you. I hope you're enjoying the chat so far. As it turns out, Jack loves to talk triathlon. So we've decided to pause here and make this part one. Next episode, we'll bring you part two. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I have always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We'll speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.